0: This is Terrio Media. What is due diligence period in real estate? I mean, if you don't know, and if you get it wrong, it could end up costing you a fortune. But if you get it right, everything that real estate promises with regard to wealth and freedom are yours for the taking. You ready? Let's
1: go. Welcome to the all new epic real estate investing show. The longest-running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs. Your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far... Share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to REIACE.com. Here's Matt. All right, so by the time
0: we're done, you'll know what the due diligence period is, six things that you must pay attention to during this period. And at the end, I'll also give you a free checklist to make sure that you don't miss everything else that's involved, especially anything that may cost you money or an opportunity. All right, so signing a contract to purchase real estate, that's just the beginning buyers must then navigate the due diligence period, which allows them to inspect the property and review important information before closing on the sale. So the due diligence period can be complex and requires careful attention. So I'll outline what's involved in the process and I'll give you my due diligence checklist to help you smoothly sail through the due diligence period. So first, you gotta know your contract. Laws involving real estate due diligence vary from state to state. So if you're working with a real estate agent, They should be able to provide specific information about which legal issues pertain to you and your market. And what your options are if problems arise. And all this should be spelled out in your purchase contract. So ask questions if anything isn't clear. Real estate is a buyer beware transaction. So take full advantage of the due diligence period to get all of your questions answered and any concerns addressed to your satisfaction. Know what you signed, especially when it comes to the various circumstances that will allow you to walk away from a purchase if you need to, such as a home inspection that uncovers a significant problem that the seller is unwilling to address or an event your financing falls through. These are your contingencies, by the way, and you have others such as the appraisal contingency. If during your due diligence period, something turns up that's a deal breaker for you, you must know your options. Further, how do your contingencies expire? I mean, do they have a deadline that automatically removes them or do you have the ability to remove them in writing that luxury? You want that luxury, by the way, because you, know, you don't want to be away on a short vacation or something to only be caught off guard when you return to discover that you're now locked into the agreement because your contingencies expired while you're unreachable. Second, you gotta know what's disclosed because under federal law, sellers in all states are required to disclose any information about lead-based paints in their home. In some states, additional disclosures about known issues, say for example, uh, the terms of condominium covenants or the presence of asbestos insulation. Those are all required to be provided to the new homeowner. Now, most sellers, they'll play fairly and they'll disclose what they know about a property, but but some may downplay issues or flat out omit important details. So if your spidey senses are are going off at any time, trust them. I mean, no need to jump to conclusions, but inspect what you expect. And that brings me to the third thing, perhaps the most important piece of due diligence, home inspections. Now, typically, unless your purchase agreement says otherwise, you will have the right to inspect the property during the due diligence period. Professional home inspectors can, they they assess the overall condition of the house and its most important components, including the roof, the plumbing, the electrical appliances, and heating and air conditioning. Home inspections can help identify the presence of termites. They can help identify the presence of lead and radon gas, defective drywall, and other hazards. This inspection, though, keep in mind, it's a general inspection. If there's anything that your inspector deems serious, they will typically recommend you have an expert to further inspect. For example, if your inspector notices significant moisture, say under the sink, they may recommend that you have a mold remediation company take a closer look. Now, if your home inspection turns up anything, something that you don't like or something that's expensive to fix and throws off your numbers, at this point, you can ask for repairs or repair credits. Now, in most cases, you're going to have to come to some sort of an agreement with the seller on these repairs and these repair costs. Now, while the seller may not be obligated to pay for repairs, oftentimes they will, or at least pay a portion to keep the the sale in place. They don't want to lose the transaction. And sometimes though, they will refuse to pay for anything. You see, a great deal of how your repair requests turn out will have everything to do with the seller's motivation to move and the market conditions. Always ask though, I mean, even if you're purchasing this property in as is condition. The seller cannot cancel the contract just because you asked for repairs or a credit. However, you, as the buyer, per your purchase agreement, will have the right to cancel the contract if an agreement can't be reached. So I've got a free checklist for you that you'll really find helpful in your due diligence. But, but let me run through these last three important things real quick. Fourth, appraisals. Before closing, your mortgage company will conduct its own appraisal of the property to ensure that the market value of the house is in line with the purchase. If the amounts differ significantly, The seller may have to agree to lower the price or the buyer may have to bring in additional money to close. Or you could have another appraisal done to prevent the bank from declining to finance the house. One thing to know about appraisals though, it's not an exact science. Meaning if I hire 10 different appraisers for their experienced and expert opinions on the value of a property, I'm going to get 10 different answers. And sometimes they can vary wildly, especially if a market is appreciating quickly. So don't freak out if the first one misses the mark. Right. Number five, homeowners association. Many condominiums, townhouses and some single family homes fall under the binding rules and covenants of a homeowners association an HOA. And these covenants may require specific upkeep. They may limit what you can do with the home or property or impose mandatory membership costs or maintenance fees. I mean, if you're purchasing a property with the intention of making it a short term rental, for example, the HOA may prohibit that. And it's not uncommon for an HOA to prohibit rentals of any kind. HOAs have been known to present significant barriers for real estate investors, so know what you're allowed to do and not do. The HOA rules and covenants are provided for review by the seller during the due diligence process. And like the home inspection, you may be able to cancel the contract if you find something not to your liking in these documents. And number six, title and survey. As a part of the closing process, a title company will conduct a title search on your property identifying outstanding liens and other issues that could complicate the transfer. And in similar fashion, a survey will typically be conducted to ensure that property lines are clearly defined. Your lender may require any issues to be corrected before financing the purchase of your home. That's a lot. And there's more. I just want to cover some really important ones first. But for the complete checklist that I and my students use during the due diligence period, you can get it for free at EpicDueDiligence.com. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like to dive in and make some really quick money in real estate, like flipping a house in just one day while using my funds to do it, I'll show you how you can pull this off in your market right now at matsfreetraining.com. Please stand by. We've got overhead to pay. We'll be right back. <laughs>
1: Remember that person that gave up on their real estate investing dreams? Neither do I. Let's keep going. Back to the show. Today,
0: we're going to talk about when the housing market shifts, what those that win will have to do to win. I got a great guest for you today. He's an internationally renowned real estate investor, wholesale expert, and entrepreneur. He is currently one of the co-hosts of the A&E series, Triple Digit Flip. His journey through real estate began in 2002 when he overheard a conversation about a home builder looking for a particular property. That's all the inspiration that he needed as he's been able to leverage creative real estate transactions to not only build up his own portfolio, but found the number one wholesale real estate franchise business of Keegly and create the real estate education mentorship of Astro Flipping. He currently lives and works in Phoenix, Arizona, and loves spending time with his family and two children. So please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Jamil. Damji, he's there. He is. What's up, bro? bro it's so good so to see you, man. Likewise, nice to meet
1: you. Nice to meet you as well. Yeah, we've got a lot of mutual friends. That I can't believe it took it took, took us this long to meet. It's a small world, but also it takes time sometimes to get around it. It does. And you know, I just wanted to kick it off by today, um, you know, acknowledging
0: you for you know what you're up to and how you do it. Thank and you. I can tell that uh, you're a smart, dude. Been around the block a few times. You make this business fun and it's just refreshing and I just really appreciate you for that. So thank you.
1: I appreciate that, Matt. Thank you. I'm, I try not to take myself too seriously, although real estate can be serious and uh, the market and all the money that can be made and lost is serious. But at the same time, yeah. learning is fun and the process of what we do is not only incredibly fulfilling, but being able to share the things that I've learned in the time that I've been doing it has also become a very fulfilling part of my life. And so, uh, happy to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. And uh, I'm excited to talk about what's happening in the market and what we yes. can do about it. Totally, right? It's exciting. Lots of new stuff happening. And, and I like to always talk about what's factual,
0: right? Yeah. And that's typically the media will will give you the facts. But then, you know, on the other side of what's actually happening can be a totally different story. just depends on how you interpret it. And I've heard you speak on this with, uh, with some other people. I was like, you know what? I think you got it. I got your you got your pulse on it, and uh, I was happy to hear that, to talk to you about it. You know, before we go though, you know, I've heard of Keebly. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was you that was behind it. What's the elevator pitch for that?
1: Well, we are a, a wholesale uh, operation, and uh, we're <laughs> franchised in 132 different markets now. So we began in Phoenix, Arizona. It's that was our first a location, myself, my sister Rahima Blaza, Josiah Grimes, and Hunter Runyon all came together and uh, formed it as a, a means to being able to provide solutions for wholesalers where they weren't able to sell their deals. And and this is what we were seeing happening, right? Mm-hmm. I've been in wholesale since two thousand and two, but really. When I came to Phoenix, Arizona in 2012 is when I really saw how powerful and how popular it had become. But what I noticed, Matt, is that with all of the education and all of the YouTube knowledge and learning that's been going on out there, there has been a lack of thought put into what actually creates a deal. And when a deal is secured, how to get that in front of the right people. Right. And as I was growing my wholesale business, what I would find happened over and over and over again. And I think part of the reason why wholesaling has had a little bit of a negative connotation with it in the public is because a lot of these youngsters get involved and they, might, they may be able to lock up a good deal, but they're not getting these deals sold. And because they don't actually have oftentimes the funds to perform on these deals themselves, it creates a problem. And the, you know, the public isn't, they're not enjoying it. They're not enjoying being canceled on. They're not enjoying being strung along. Real estate agents don't like having to come and clean up the mess. And wholesalers Mm -hmm. don't want to put themselves or other people in situations where they're damaging not only their reputation, but somebody else's life. And so there's all these problems that were being caused because people just weren't doing what they say they were going to do. Right. And so... Our first and foremost situation we were trying to solve at Keegley was, how do we become the buyer for these wholesalers? How do we create a backstop for wholesalers who are out there negotiating good opportunities, but don't have the liquidity or the buying capacity to take these deals down? How do we solve that problem? So we did that by being the buyer, first and foremost. Right. And so we purchase properties across the nation, but our franchises are also purchasing in all of their home markets. And so, A, we are backstop as just being the buyer for you and your deal. The second way that we add value to the marketplace is my company has become extremely well-known for our capacity to build better buyers lists. So really connecting with those cash buyers who are looking for great opportunities, whether they be fix and flip or buy and hold or uh, even short-term rentals, whatever their end result or their end exit strategy might be, we want to be able to be the company that provides them that, Opportunity. And so mm-hmm. we've invested heavily, millions and millions and mil- tens of millions of dollars in building our buyers list so that we are top notch in all of the markets that we operate in. So if Keighley's not your buyer for whatever reason, we will have a buyer for you in our database. And so what people have done is they come to a Keighley branch wherever they locate, wherever they're located, and they create a relationship with either myself or one of the franchise owners in another market, and we will conduct business. Typically, our business model is direct to wholesaler or direct to agent. So we work very closely in a relationship-based business model, whereas a lot of wholesale stores that you find out there or wholesale operations are, are business to consumer where they're going directly to the homeowner and negotiating with homeowners to put deals under contract and then you know, do with it what they will our business model is direct to wholesaler or direct to agents. So we're not going to the homeowner negotiating with homeowners and trying to get deals with them. We're working with real estate agents who may have listing agreements or maybe in some form of an arrangement with the homeowner. So there's that buffer there. And that also provides us some insulation when it comes to agency, right? Because we're in business, our job is to get as good of a price for a property as possible, right? And so we are looking after ourselves in a transaction. Of course, we don't take advantage of people and we want to pay the most that we can pay, but it's our responsibility as business owners to do the best for our, ourselves and our shareholders. And so that's what we do. Right. And there, therefore, when an agent's involved and they create uh, an agency relationship with a homeowner, then it's their job to protect the homeowner and make sure that they are doing the best for their homeowner as possible, and getting them the most money for their deal. But that's not my business, right? My business is to do the best for me. So that's really created a a lucrative and a very safe business model for us because A, we don't have to worry about all of these regulations and and new situations that are coming about in the wholesale space because we're not negotiating with homeowners very often. And so we're, we're pretty much insulated from any of that or any of those shenanigans. Got it. So what is is the scenario where a a wholesaler
0: has a a deal under contract? They're unable to sell it themselves, but you are able to buy it.
1: So Uh, how does that happen? Yeah, really easy. You know what they would typically do? We like to work with a wholesaler before they contract a house so that we can guide in numbers. You know, one of the Mm -hmm. things that I've noticed happening is there's, especially when someone's brand new and they're just learning, they have a hard time differentiating between a deal and a house. Right. And so we need to really teach people how to underwrite, how to evaluate, you know, how to look at where there's potential. And I look at wholesaling as the practice of spotting potential and selling a portion of it. That's it. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a house and there's no opportunity to, forced appreciation or there's no potential there that allows for a forced appreciation there's not a real opportunity for a wholesale deal there right and so it's teaching people right. the fundamentals of underwriting the fundamentals of how appraisers value houses and how a fix and flipper would monetize an opportunity like that and so how that would work right. if a wholesaler brought us a deal we'd look at it we'd we'd evaluate it for its numbers for its you know merits as a as a deal and uh, if we were brought buyers for it, we would just say, look, we'll take it at the asking price and when's close of escrow and here's your earnest money and we'll close. Uh, if it doesn't work for us, we'll say, give us a non-exclusive option and uh, we will market it to our buyers. And if we're successful, awesome. And if we're not, again, that's that wholesaler's responsibility when they entered into that contract to know how they were going to close or if they were going to close or what their scenario was going to be. Again, that's not that's not really our situation to deal with. That's the wholesaler and the homeowner's job to deal with. But our true uh, value is in helping that liquidity situation take place, right? So we really want to help these wholesalers get these deals done because the worst thing that can happen is failed expectations and leaving people in a in a lurch, you know, thinking their house is going to close and then nothing happens. Right. Right,
0: yeah, that's no fun. Not for anybody.
1: What does the volume look like then? Like um, is that on a, like
0: a monthly basis?
1: It's uh, it's it's significant. So, so for us on a corporate level, we have corporate stores in Phoenix, uh, Florida, uh, Tampa, and Orlando specifically, and we're in Texas, Dallas predominantly. And yeah. our corporate stores will do volume in the range of uh, anywhere between sixty to one hundred transactions every month, and that's just our corporate stores. And then our franchises right. are doing you know multiple hundreds of deals a month, so it's fairly lucrative. Our okay. corporate store will, on average, do anywhere between one to one and a half million dollars in assignments a month. Wow, it's amazing. So, so who has a franchisee? Are they
0: just kind of they're just an investor with capital ready to buy? Is that kind of and that's yeah, they buy the a franchise would be.
1: Yeah, they they would either be looking to buy homes or they they want to be in the business of buying and selling. So. Uh, they would A, ha- either be backed by us financially to close deals or they would have access to their own funds or private money to close on opportunities. Or they would use the systems and the processes that we provide as uh, the franchisor and giving them buyers lists and giving them wholesaler leads and giving them agent leads so they can connect the dots and and mm-hmm. get these deals done. One of the things I wanted to mention is we, as wholesalers, we were the first ones to adopt having everybody in our office licensed. So we don't, we don't actually operate in the gray area. There's that question that often gets asked, are you an agent or are you brokering here? Well, it doesn't matter from us because we have licenses. So you can call it whatever you want. Um, <laughs> Which one do you want us to be? Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: I, I was curious, but now I'm like, I'm fascinated. So that's amazing what you built.
1: Thank you. It's a real great opportunity for somebody who wants to wholesale because they see the potential. They understand how lucrative of a business it can be. I mean, you know, for us, we are high volume, so we're not the kind of shop that's making you know seventy or a hundred thousand dollars on a house. I, first and foremost, I don't believe in deals like that. I think that. They happen every once in a while, but you have to be able to create some incredible value in a situation in order to extract that kind of fee from anybody. Otherwise you, Mm -hmm. you literally did rip somebody off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. If we're being honest, if you can't, if you you can't justify a substantial amount of potential or a substantial amount of forced appreciation or a higher and better use for a property. Mm -hmm. And then, Justify a fifty or seventy thousand dollar fee? Cool, right now because you 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 were creative and you found a higher and better use, and and that potential mm-hmm. is accepted by somebody else, and they're willing to pay you for the rights to that contract. That's great. But if you're negotiating so deeply, and if you're you know representing the folks' property value, that's that's half of what it is. Then I you know I don't think that's super fair. So for right. us, our average deal size ten to fifteen thousand dollars, right? Um, yeah. But because we do such a high volume of transactions, it's it's very lucrative for us,
0: right? So I'm thinking like, why would anybody spend any time marketing a deal and just why they just bring them all to you? And what that's a great under question. What scenario,
1: that's a great question. Under what
0: scenarios would you say no?
1: When they have the numbers wrong, or the, the yeah, wrong. or or the property is just outside of uh, our scope of desired okay. project, you know so. Uh, Right now, we're not really bullish on multifamily, uh, large multifamily. I'm not bullish in new construction at the moment. Uh, Lending is just not where it needs to be in order to make a lot of those deals make sense. And I don't think sellers have come to the reality side of the equation yet where they're accepting that their values are significantly diminished because of where the interest rates have gone. So for me, I'm not looking to do any new construction right now. Um, you know, so if you've got vacant land and you're bringing it to me, I'm probably not a buyer for you. Great. Uh, if you yeah. are unique, really unique properties, that's one thing that I tend to find, you know, folks, they will go and lock up houses in rural areas or very unique houses because they believe that there's fewer, there's less competition for that kind of house, but there's also mm-hmm. very few buyers for that kind of house as well. So you know, I like to play in traffic. I like to go where it's very, very, very busy. I like to go in the markets where it's highly competitive. Right. I think that if you play in traffic, there's a good chance you're going to get hit.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I get, the, I get the emails all the time from wholesalers. I'm on a bunch of people's lists. And it's almost it's almost always a no because I don't think the numbers are good. Right. And so I'd imagine you get a lot of the same solicitations and the same present or same offers. Um, do you find yourself paying a little bit more than other people and making more stuff work than most people can?
1: I think we can pay a little bit more than smaller shops because we do a higher volume. So that's a real right. thing. But a deal Indeed. is a deal, you know? And I think that what you're seeing here, what's really interesting, Matt, is that the I know the wholesaler emails you're talking about because I'm on all the lists as well. In fact, I'm probably on more just because I've, become known anymore. on the space yeah. as, you know, somebody that people should be sending deals to. But um, what I've really found is that oftentimes what you're seeing in the email isn't the story. And mm-hmm. uh, if you actually called and talked to a lot of these people and asked them questions and, and, and really dug into, you know, where they are in the deal, and what's happening in the deal, you'll find that they're there quite possibly could be a deal behind all of that crap. You're just, you're what you're seeing right now is somebody's hopes and dreams and not, a, not a real thing. Wow. I, I'd say nine out of the 10 conversations that, you know, we'll have with, with people in a day. will we'll say, well, you know, we're looking at this deal that you sent and, you know, appreciate you giving us an opportunity to help you out here. Uh, we see ARV on this house at 250 and, and you're marketing it for 220. So uh, first and foremost, I want to understand what did I miss? Because <laughs> you, you, there's got to be a higher comp here or something that you saw that, that I'm not seeing. Otherwise, I don't think you would have sent this to me at this price. And, this- and oftentimes it's like, no, no, yeah, it's, you know, uh, well, where, where do you think it, where does it need to be in order for it to sell? Like, well, if ARV is 250, we're probably gonna be looking at this to be, you know, somewhere at the the maybe the 150, 160 range, you know, that that maybe if it's really clean, maybe 165, 170, but it's gotta be super clean in order for that. And then you find out that oh, they, they actually do have the room. They were just trying to make a hundred thousand on, dollars on their first mm. deal. And so It's all about having conversations and talking to people and really digging into what they're trying to accomplish, because the thing is, is people are just behaving based off what they think the norm is. And you see these guys with the checks on Facebook and you see the guy with the check in the Facebook group and you see that incredibly large fee and you think that could be me. Yeah, And so I think everybody gets into the business thinking they got a Powerball in their first contract and it's not really what it is. And so it's teaching folks the reality of this and how this is a long game and how we we get rich off base hits, not home runs. And uh, yeah. once we really start building those relationships and, and, and explaining to people how it really works, it becomes a beautiful thing. And our relationships with wholesalers have become so deep and true now that they won't even go elsewhere. They won't even try other folks anymore. They'll just come to us and they'll say, hey, Jamil, this is where we're under contract at. Swing for the fences and, and sell it for as much as you think we can and, and let's split it. And those are the kinds mm-hmm. of relationships we love because look, you can come to me and say, we want X for our house. You know, we, you, maybe you don't want to tell me what you're under contract for. You're just going to say, we want to, we want to sell it for this much. And, mm-hmm. and I might not be able to do that. And so I'll just say no. Uh, but then what happens, right? This person's sitting there twiddling their thumbs, you know, and the days of their inspection period are counting down and they're not making any headway anywhere else. And so, so the question has to become, are you willing to make $10,000 today? Or are you going to sit and hope that you'll make a hundred thousand dollars today and nobody sees your house? Mm-hmm. So we really have to have those come to Jesus conversations with people all the time to, Really find out, right. you know, what are they really wanting to accomplish and and are we in this for the long haul or are you just trying to, you know, come in here and and, and score a rip on your on one deal and then, you know, ride off into the sunset? What's what's the plan? Mm-hmm. Right,
0: right. <laughs> Good question.
1: Uh what is this
0: live about? How's it help, helping us investors? <laughs> no. Good question natalie and uh it's it's about the shifting market and how behaviors and, and approaches that are gonna be changing and how modifying your game, but you know if you were paying attention, there was straight gold in there, so that helped me a lot actually that to get his insight on that, but it didn't mean to turn it into a keeply commercial, not at all no but, uh, I appreciate your insight and let let's go ahead and and move right on the uh crowd is growing impatient. this is good, all right, so I pulled this up real quickly just to kind of go over some what's happening right now. And uh, nope. a new normal, the housing market just seriously shifted and sellers may be running out of time. And I, I'm, I'm going to point to a few things and we can talk about it and then how we should change our approach. It says uh, our weekly call, da, 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 da. okay, so whole prices, number of new listings, total data on the market and mortgage rates. You need to pay attention to those because these are critical variables that show that, that the tables are turning in favor of home buyers more than sellers. Right, And you'll notice if you're reading the media and if you listen to the TV, it's always starting out like this. But if you just go a little bit deeper and start reading everything, granted, a buyer friendly direction does not mean we are in or anywhere near a true blue buyers market. Correct sellers so market that has raised since the COVID nineteen pandemic is still going strong. But all signs say the clock is ticking and it's getting numbered. So we've been hearing that all the time. But every time that people post the data, it's well, not yet. It's coming, but not yet. This just came out today. Oh wow! Look at that. Uh, Nice. That's, <laughs> hopefully I didn't hopefully start playing. Whatever that's going to be about. <laughs> but uh, U.S. home price growth to stall completely, Goldman warns. Yeah. To stall completely. Um, this is Goldman Sachs, too. Do they have a real estate division? I don't know if they do or not. But buyers are faced with an affordability crisis due to surging mortgage rates and listing prices that hit fresh highs during the pandemic era boom. But you see this. The affordability prices, I think, is a real thing. I surging do. mortgage rates. I mean, they surged for a second but if we look right now, they sit today at 5.55%, historically speaking, that's really, really low.
1: It, it is. Uh, but, I, but at the same time, Matt, I think that you have a situation right now where people have unrealistic expectations because of what we've just come out of, right? When you've seen mortgage rates as low as 2%, 3%, and, and that's what we've been used to for the last five or more years, that becomes, you get addicted to that and you start, be, you start believing that that's what is normal and i think it's going to require a reset in expectations i think that you'll have a season and i think this next season is is what we're experiencing if you're in the fix and flip business i am i fix and flip houses and a lot of our inventory is sitting right now and we we also have to reduce pretty drastically to get deals sold uh you know there's a there's a time cost situation and and so we just have to cut in order to get inventory off of our books and so you know, is that, is, is that going to create um, a drop in values? Absolutely, it will. It'll absolutely create a drop in values. And I think that we're seeing that start to unfold in, in some markets across the United States, not all of them, but in some markets, right? I think the ones that we saw rapid acceleration, rapid appreciation uh, during those you know few months of, of the buyer frenzy, I think that a lot of that emotional equity, I like to call it, the pricing where we went over a hundred or $200,000 over list price and we waived right. appraisal contingency and, and it, this isn't lender-backed value. This is just straight emotions at play. I believe mm-hmm. the emotional equity is going to get erased from, from the market. Uh, and right. so if we are looking at running our comps as fix and flippers or if you're looking at running your comps as a wholesaler, uh, to the individual who asked, "How does this help us?" Well, first and foremost, we want to understand where's pricing going. Where where should we be baking in our ARVs over the next ninety days? Mm-hmm. So, I'll give you guys some tips that I've been hearing from our fix and flip clients because we get to talk to hundreds, if not thousands, of them on a on a monthly basis. So, what we've been hearing is that fix and flip buyers are baking in around a ten percent. Correction into their pricing right now. So, if you want to continue wholesaling, if you are a wholesaler and you and you're and you don't want to be lean for the next sixty days, you want to transact, you want to be able to go and get deals done. What I would do is I would subtract ten percent from the ARV that you're looking at and seeing right now, and I would I would ten percent off the top, ten percent off the top. If you're wanting to transact at the moment. So, Mm -hmm. and, and, and we have been, and we've been transacting. So it's working. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another thing that I would do is I would look at where the pendings are, right? So if you are uh, running your comps, I would, I would also, I would absolutely look at your high comp, but then I would take two pendings that are remodels in the area. And I would see where, where are they landing in comparison to your high comp? Are they dramatically lower? And if they are lower, if the pendings are lower by what percentage point? And that will tell you about how much of a percentage correction your market should be heading into. Uh, And so I think if you can keep these factors into consideration, and if you make the adjustments accordingly, you should be a-okay in your wholesale business and you should be a-okay in your fix and flip business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think also paying attention, what we haven't had to do for a really long time is even look at the actives. Because if you're going to do, if you're going to, if your job or your exit strategy is to fix and flip and sell to a, reset, a retail uh, buyer, you know, someone that's going to use this for their primary residence, you want to see what your competition is going to be when you put it on the market. And, you know, if you have cops that are saying your property is worth 500000 but you got four actives that have been sitting for 30 days at four seventy five, then you might not want to use that 500000 right? I agree. I agree. For sure. Let's move on. I've got a couple more things here that I want to talk about because... I have a little bit, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic than most when it comes to it. And it's really kind of based on this right here. So we look at our inventory. So, you know, that's two or three months. We are hearing the spike in inventory. And we can see that new listings are already on the decline. It's this black line right here. So seasonally, we should be coming down. But, you know, we're coming down either faster than we normally would right there. Um, our year over year on the inventory is down 15%. New listings are down, so we always we've all we've known for a long time that's not news that inventory is really low, but it's certainly not spiking. There's not liberatory inventory coming on the market. It's the the growth is slowing down considerably. And here's the other part that I look at. So we got low supply, and then we come here and we look at how our demo our population is divided up by age group. And this was from 2020, so it's going to be like two years in the rear. But the average age of the first time, home buyer is 34 years old, right? And we've got, so that would be right here, this 32-year-old right here, since this is two years old. Um, but we got one, two, three, four, five, six, probably six or seven years of unprecedented demand, more demand for housing than you've ever seen in the history of our country. And so, you know, whatever is suppressing the market, you know, the, the Fed, the government, the the powers that be will do what they can to, to keep it in check. But, you know, at some point, they, they can't do it forever with, you know, people, unless, you know, people stop wanting to live in houses, right? And that they, I'm just going to live under the stars and everything will be fine and then the housing market can correct. Right. But, you know, we're all going to be moving in together or, you know, or it's it's, it's going to be well, government housing or, or government has to subsidize investors more or, or they won't do anything or just create chaos. I'm not sure.
1: I think you hit it on the nail with the first thing you said. I think that creative arrangements on how we will live... Will be mm-hmm. the norm here in the United States, and I, I yeah. I'm I look at it because the example has been set in other countries. Okay, the fact is is that how we live here in America doesn't exist anywhere else in the on the planet. You go to Europe and you see how people live on top of each other. You see how many people live in one in one small property. If you see the size of properties over there you really see a completely different housing story than what we have here in the United States. And Mm -hmm. I believe that that story will be retold in much along the same lines as what we've seen happen in Europe and in other countries. And so I believe that in the next 10 years, this housing crisis is not going to get any better. We've seen somewhat near 20% of all housing inventory right now being bought by secondary home buyers, by institutional investors. I mean, just think of that, right? One in five houses right now is being bought by a rental company that does not plan on ever reintroducing that house back into the market. Yep. Right. So that's inventory that's being sucked away and removed. On top of that, you have new asset classes being brought into uh, the the retail or in, into the residential space with short-term rentals. Back in the day, we had, you know, ma and pa landlords were, were long-term renters and uh, long-term uh, landlords, and they were only looking for long-term tenants. Now, mm-hmm. we've got an even more lucrative rental situation where landlords are Turning their homes into short term rentals, which removes that property from the rental market. And so that again creates another inventory situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you add to that the cheapest money that we had leading up to right now, which everybody's complaining about five and a half percent mortgage rates, but you know, even that is relatively low. Right. So you've got. Uh, Taylor Marr from Redfin, he's the he's the uh, the chief, I believe he's the the vice president of data and analytics there. He said that there were three factors that caused this crazy appreciation that we just saw before the market started to cool off. It was migration, millennials, and money. The three M's. All right. Migration, migration is happening. Little- right? we the migration hasn't stopped. We're still seeing Net migration from places like California into states like Texas and Arizona, and I mean my city itself here in Phoenix, we're, we're gaining two to three hundred people a day, and they're coming from California and they haven't stopped, and so that's creating an inventory situation as well, right? The money still mm-hmm. hasn't got the money has gotten a little bit more expensive, but it's still cheap at five and a half percent, and so you've got all of these factors here that I don't think we are really solving. And even though we've got this mass, this you know, people came in in mass to list their houses trying to to, to squeeze out every last penny of this crazy appreciation that we saw, I think that's what we're seeing in an inventory spike right now. I think we're just seeing everybody fearful that they're not going to be able to sell at the height of the market, and so s- more people listed than than would have normally listed. <laughs> but you know what that's going to cause when those houses sell? That inventory still isn't being replaced. Right. I think we're creating an even bigger vacuum.
0: Yep. We got six months in a row where builders said confidence has gotten lower and lower and lower and lower. They're stopping the building.
1: Yep. And they never caught up. They never did catch up to what was happening from what happened in 2008. They They never caught up their building inventory. And so I, I truly think that we're in for a very interesting five years in the real estate market. And I think inventory is not going to swell. I think inventory is going to remain dramatically low. I think pricing is going to still remain very high. And so I think what we're going to have is creative ways where people will be living in interesting dynamics. I think that you're going to have more and more households open up their homes to renting out rooms. I think you're going yeah. to have families living together in single family homes, multiple families living in single family homes. I think yeah. uh, the accessory dwelling unit is going to be one of the most popular renovations or additions that people will, ha- will do in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a massive, massive play for people is, you know, putting a pod in the backyard or putting a, a storage container in the backyard and, and turning that into a rental. Uh, yeah. I, I, I believe well, just
0: gave you permission to turn all your
1: garages into living quarters. Right. Right. Yeah. And I also they, think they, that you're going to have multi-generational, uh, living become more normalized in the United States than, than it has been. Right. If you go to Europe or Asia, you see parents living with children as the norm, you know, it's, it's just how, how people do it. And I think that that's going to happen here as well. Yeah.
0: I think that's a, a very logical prediction for sure. You know, we were texting back and forth of what we we're going to talk about today, where you had said, uh, you know, when the housing market shifts, you have a particular prediction on who's going to come out the winner. And so you want to, you want to speak on that and what you meant by that?
1: Well, I, I think that there's a way to win uh, as the market shifts. And I think that there's a way to win uh, once the market shifts. And I think that as long as you understand... Correct. Uh, as long as you understand the key fundamentals of underwriting, I think that you can always play the game at the highest level and you can win. Right. And so uh Matt, the thing that I've been teaching my students and the thing that I've been, you know, telling people who show up to my podcast, I you know, I I podcast with bigger pockets as well, and I, I get to talk mm-hmm. to a lot of smart people who watch that as well. And the thing that I'm yelling from the mountaintops is really understand value learn how to comp learn how to comp correctly now more than ever you cannot break the rules when trying to figure out how much a property is worth and you know it's interesting is i've i have surveyed thousands of real estate agents and i've asked all of them if any of them were taught how to value property when they were getting their licenses not one has said they were not one can you imagine that we give real estate oh, agents the title of a fiduciary we we tell them that they have a legal responsibility to have somebody's best interests at heart in a transaction yep. yet we still yep. haven't taught them how to understand how to evaluate those properties so many of us we rely on real estate agents to tell us how much something is worth yep but they don't understand how much property is worth themselves because they were never taught how to do it.
0: For sure. Yeah.
1: There's a key knowledge asset that we can all gain. And that's learning how to value property the way an appraiser would. If you can learn how to value property the way an appraiser would, you can get ahead of the pack and you can be the best investor, the best rental investor, the best short-term investor, rental investor, the best fix and flip investor, the best wholesaler. Mm -hmm. I believe that that's the one key learning technique that will separate you from everybody else and give you a leagues ahead advantage over your Mm -hmm. competition.
0: Mm -hmm. I I couldn't agree more. The one caveat that I would add to that, though, is Yes, get it right and learn how to do it and get it right. But understand you're not going to get it right. Meaning that you know if you took ten appraisers out there, had them all evaluate a house, you're going to get ten different answers. So just be careful not like over analyzing and getting yourself into this paralysis by analysis. I thing, agree. Yeah, yeah. Right? Is uh, you know, it's it's not an exact science by any means. But um yeah, the, the fundamentals are probably more important today than they we remember that in the last few years for sure. Yes, sir. You know, the, the mark appreciating it and it covers up your mistakes. You know, it covers it up has your experience. It
1: it, it 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 did cover up it, your property, right? It did. But you know something, there were more people, uh, you know, that that's the thing about it, right? When the economy shifts, we get to see who's naked. Yeah, yeah. It's what it is, right? Uh, and yeah, when I, the, and I when think the ocean goes out, right? Yep, that's what that's what it is, <laughs> yeah. right? So that's what we're that's what we're seeing happen right now.
0: Fantastic. What's the focus for you right now? Like, how are you changing your business? And uh, it kind of touched on a little bit, but is there anything else to that?
1: I mean, you know, beyond really leaning into the fundamentals of wholesale. I mean, I think that yeah. as real estate investors right now, because the market is in flux. Uh, because we really don't know where values are going to land for us we're leaning into our wholesale exit strategy more than fix and flip at the moment and so for anybody that's out there trying to you know create wealth or create opportunity for themselves in real estate investing i think right now really understand how to whole, how to be a wholesaler and how to be a good wholesaler once you do that for the next, I'd say 12 months, you'll really get a good understanding of where we are. And then if you decide you want to get back into fix and flip, or if you want to start fixing and flipping or get, get back into multifamily investing, I think that would be a good time for me right now. I just walked away from a multifamily deal where I had a $470,000 non-refundable earnest deposit and we lost it. Because closing on the building would have been a complete mistake. Think of this, Matt. We contract a building in That's March. 53 unit, $12.5 million building. It was a great deal at $12.5 mm-hmm. $12. million when we contracted it. We had lenders who were willing to do 100% financing at $12.5 mm-hmm. $12. That's how great of a deal it was at $12.5 million when we contracted okay. it in March. The rates doing what they've done, at the moment right now, we had lenders who had decreased what they were willing to do. Their loan quotes went down to seven. Seven. So I, first and foremost, if you're even thinking about getting into multifamily, the first question I'd want to ask is when was the deal structured? because sellers right now in the multifamily space they haven't come to terms that their buildings may have dropped in value by 50%. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if you are in a multifamily deal right now, I feel sorry for you. I think I think that if you are looking at multifamily as an opportunity, I wouldn't be making any moves for 18 months. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think lean into wholesale at the moment and I think pause on your fix and flips. That's the strategy that I have moving into the next 12 to 18 months and I think that by doing so we'll, we'll not only will we generate a significant amount of cash uh, but we will have a war chest ready to strike when the correction finally shakes itself out. You said
0: that the multifamily orders uh, aren't really uh they're not hit to what's going on in the market yet. And the sellers are typically always the last ones to figure it out. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing as far as, you know, your your single family owners? Are they getting the picture?
1: I think single family sellers have felt it much more rapidly than anybody else. But the fact is is much that more rapidly
0: than last time for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And here's the here's the beautiful thing, right? About about single family is that it's usually circumstance that creates a selling event, mm-hmm. and since circumstance is creating the selling event, that circumstance isn't going to go away. Go away, right? If you've got to move for work, you're you got to move for work, right? If right. you've got to sell this property because a family member passed away, you got to sell the property. If you're getting a divorce, you got to split the assets. Like these things are not going to go away right they're gonna happen, and because those things are gonna happen, sell events are gonna take place, and because sell events are gonna take place and they're gonna need to happen whether the timing is good or bad, we are going to understand or sellers are going to be a lot more they're gonna get they're gonna be forced to hit reality way sooner than an than an investor who's sitting on a fifty three unit twelve on what he believes to be a twelve and a half million dollar asset in an a class neighborhood of Phoenix. Who can very well wait another two years before they sell the building. Uh, and so why should they decrease their value by $5 million right now? Why should they? they they're, they're saying, I don't need to sell. You're right. You don't. And so in that multifamily space, unless we're talking distress, there's, there's no, there, nobody, they're sitting on enough equity right now and their rents are so high. Inflation has yeah. created such a great opportunity for them for cash flow that they're not going to come to terms with that fact that their buildings are worth significantly less than they may have been. But Mm -hmm. single-family homeowners, they're going to have to do what they're going to have to do. And the other thing about it as well is that when they consult real estate agents, guess what hasn't been happening with a realtor's phone over the last 60 days? It hasn't been ringing. has not been ringing. Mm -hmm. And those agents are worried. They took out a lease on a BMW in March because things were really good. And now they got to pay that lease. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I've gone through it. I've been here in Vegas for about three years. I was in Los Angeles all my life. And I got really excited when I came here because I was like, oh, I finally get to start creating some sort of cash flow opportunity in my whole backyard, which I've been unable to do in Los Angeles for, you know. Right. And... I had this certain strategy that when I was an agent, I had an, uh, an investor client and he had me go out and do this certain type of work and then we created a bunch of deals for him. But then, like, oh, now I'm the investor. Now I come here and I'm going to go and ask employee agents to go out and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And none of them even, I mean, some of them tried, didn't want to do it. And, and to your point, I'd text him say, hey, the market's kind of softening. Want to try that again? He said, hell yeah, I'm oh, on. Yeah. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. that's <laughs> like, oh,
0: wow. And the total change of tune. But you can tell just in the vibe and the conversations and, you know, it was eight weeks ago, all of a sudden I could tell just like this with the sellers, like all of a sudden they were calling me back. Yep. And when they did call, they were reading messages. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is new.
1: <laughs> wow. You're, being, you're um, being polite. Holy. Well, yeah, you know, polite. Exactly. Here's another thing that I've, I, I noticed is that uh, like if anybody's watching this right now and you're, and you're thinking, hey, Jamil, thanks. Hey, Matt, thanks. This was great. But where's the actionable advice? what? Can you give me a nugget right now that I can walk away from this podcast and go and earn a $10,000 check? Here it is. If I was you, I would go and find any listing in original condition on the MLS right now that's been on the market for 60 days or longer. I would call that listing agent directly. I wouldn't get a buyer's agent involved in an in ad friction i would go directly to the listing agent i would call the listing agent and i would say hi sir ma'am i noticed your property at xyz address and i looked at the numbers on it and it looks to be priced as though the house had been totally remodeled and you know looking at the f- at the photos it, it hasn't been so it's obvious that that either one of two things happened here your seller's forced you to list this property at this price. uh, And, um, or, or um, you know, maybe y'all just overpriced it because the market was where it was at that time. But I have a question for you. How serious are your sellers about actually selling this house? And the agent will give you an honest answer. They'll say they're super motivated or they're not. And if they're super motivated, then this is what you do you ask the listing agent to represent you, okay? So you incentivize the listing agent by doubling their commission, okay? You double their commission by them representing you and you ask them to submit an offer for you at the price that you think the house will trade at. And if you don't know how much to offer for that house, if you're seriously stumped, Jamil, we have no idea what we should be offering on this. Send me a DM on Instagram. I'll connect you with a Kegely franchise who will give you a buy number so you can know exactly what we'll pay for a house. Then all you got to go do is lock it up 5000 or $10,000 less than that and make yourself a check.
0: Nice. That's a good note to leave to lead on. That's a good one. Appreciate you, Jamil. If you want to get in touch with you... Um, you're all over the place. You probably don't have to, but what would be the best way for them to get to reach out to you if they wanted to?
1: You can find me on my Instagram. It's at J-D-A-M-J-I. That's at J Damji. Also, I've got a YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com slash Jamil Damji. I put out information uh, much like what we talked about today. And I can give you all kinds of advice and tips on how to be an awesome wholesaler and you know, Beyond that, I just hope that you guys are all having a great day and just keep your heads up and keep working hard. For sure. To be an awesome wholesaler, one more thing.
0: What are the three things that make up an awesome wholesaler?
1: I love that you asked that. Well, first and foremost, it's it's honesty. If you said it a couple times, yeah. you need to be a good wholesaler. I want to know what yeah. you
0: think makes up a good wholesaler.
1: I, 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 think, I think where your intention first is, right? Do you have an honest intention? You can tell what your intention is based off of who are you trying to help, yourself or or the, the other person? So I think an awesome wholesaler has the intention to help other people. You will make money by solving problems and being helpful. That is a byproduct of that service, okay? Second yep. thing is what makes an awesome wholesaler is they either have money or they are backed by money. So don't be full of crap. Don't be that guy out there locking up deals that you can't perform on because that's not okay. Okay, that in, yeah. in, in all honesty, that's fraud. Don't do that. So if you want to be backed up by a buyer, reach out. Again, reach out to myself. Reach out to uh, any Kegley franchise. We will backstop you our offers so that you're making legitimate plays out there in the world. Make sure you've got the financial capacity to, to close on the deals that you're writing. Okay? And then the third thing that I would do if I wanted to be an awesome wholesaler is I would learn how to comp. Awesome.
0: Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely, man. And, uh, Been a pleasure. It was awesome. Man. I got stuff before I want to talk to you about, but uh, time's up. And so we'll just have to do it again.
1: Yeah, man. You got my phone number. Let's be friends, bro. I, I, I love chatting sure. with you today. Likewise. All right. All right, partner. Take care. Take care, guys.
0: And that wraps up the Epic Show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would, and when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here. And I'll take great care of them. God loves you, and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow.